We'll be reading uh, verses 2 through 10. Acts chapter 3, verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to speak to you all briefly. I kind of debated on a title for this uh, just because there were different things or main points that we could have gone to. But I just want to title it, Expecting to Receive. Bishop, will you pray over the word? In the name of Jesus. Your hand is on your female servant. Your anointing is resting upon her. I pray, God, the word go forth in power, demonstration, and manifestation. I'm asking, God, that this word tonight will fall on good ground. Let it produce what you purpose in this place. And I'm asking, oh, God, allow this word, God, to be engrafted in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, When I first looked at this passage, I was uh, not confused, but just a little curious about what the Lord was leading me to, because usually when people read from this passage, um, it's it's something, you know, really exciting and fiery, and we want to talk about miracles and that instant, immediate healing of, of this beggar or about how John and Peter had that faith. Um... But when I read this passage, I kind of put myself in the place of that beggar. Um, thinking about how long that man had been there, how many people had walked past him, how many people probably tried to avoid eye contact with him. And verse Verse 5 says that he gave his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. In verse 2, we see that this man was lame from birth. It wasn't an accident that had happened to him. This was just how he came to be. We don't know how old he was, uh, but it says that they, whoever they are, his parents or friends or, or siblings, laid him daily at that gate. This was something that uh, they did constantly, consistently. It was daily. And I think perhaps this was the best they could do for him. It says that they would sit him there so that he could ask for alms. And alms uh, in the Greek is 
Elei Mosune, <laughs> which means compassionateness that is as exercised towards the poor. And it comes from Eleos, which is compassion, human or divine, especially active, tender mercy. So this man was sitting there not specifically asking for money or coins. He was begging for alms, for someone to show him some sort of compassion. But I think that after all these years, all he came to expect from people was a few coins. I don't think that he expected to receive his healing, his miracle, that very moment. And so, although we all tend to think that alms uh, is just giving money to the poor, uh, money was not what was going to fix this man. It wasn't what was going to heal him. No amount of money was going to heal him. Um, but like I said, he might have come to expect nothing more than that. Uh, the word expect in the Greek is prosdokao, which means to watch, to anticipate in thought, hope, or fear, to await, to be in expectation, look for, or tarry. And receive is lambano, to take. And there are two different ways this word can be used there's the passive form, which is to have offered to one. So you take it because someone offered you. Um, and the second one is more violent. It means to seize or remove, to accept or obtain, which means you just go up and take it. Um, and so I believe in this instance uh, with this man, it was that first, that passive. He took it because it was offered to him. Um, but it wasn't what, was, what he was expecting. And so I think what... The main point that I wanted to get to is asking ourselves, what is it that we are expecting from God? What have we been waiting on God for for years? Whether it's a miracle or a healing or a promise that we have waited on, if you can think on that, are you still waiting for that promise? Or have you settled for something less or a modified version of that? When the Lord uh, was leading me to look this up, I, I thought, Lord, I, I don't know that I'm the right person to talk on this. I'm still waiting on promises myself. I'm still waiting to see certain things come to pass in my life, and um, I don't see any signs of them happening anytime soon. And the weight of carrying that promise can be heavy. It can be painful sometimes to where we, we might even say, you know what, God, it's fine. You don't have to do it. I've been holding on to this promise for so long, and it's not coming to pass. It's okay, God. You don't have to do it. I'll still serve you. I'll still live for you, even if it doesn't happen. Because we try to ease that pain of the weight, and we might even think, uh, it makes us a bit more virtuous to tell God he doesn't have to do what he said he was going to do. And uh, I know this because I've done it many times myself. I've told God, you know what, it's fine, Lord. I'll still serve you. I'll still do whatever you ask of me. You don't have to do that thing. But the Lord, uh, in studying out, has shown me that 
the promises he has given me are not just about me. That every promise he has given me has a purpose. So I can't settle for anything less than what he has spoken. I can't settle for a modified version of the promises he has given me. And each, each one of us in our own lives have promises that we're waiting on. And as a church body, we've, we've heard and received promises. But what, what if we were to settle for a lesser or a modified version of our promises? We can look at Sarah. She tried to find a different way for God to have his promise fulfilled And we know that story. Uh, If we can go to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, this is where Abram tells God, I'm childless, you've given me no offspring. And in verse 4, The Lord tells him, uh, one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So this is where Abram first receives that promise, and thereby Sarah. And then we see in chapter 16, verse 2, seeing that it wasn't happening in her time frame, Sarah found a way to make it happen. In chapter 16, verse 2, it says, So Sarai said to Abram, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. So she said, Look, it's not happening. We're, we've tried. There's, there's nothing. It, there must be a different way it's going to come to pass. And we know that uh, she just kind of makes a mess of things because when her handmaiden does become pregnant by Abram, uh, she becomes despised in her eyes and so much so that Haggai, Hagar, sorry, uh, runs away and, and, and the, the Lord has to send a messenger to send her back. And then we read in chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, where the Lord is speaking to Abram. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he's establishing his covenant with him and his descendants. And in verse 15, it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael was the son that he had through Hagar. But the Lord said, no, that's not, that's not good enough for me. The way you tried to do it, it's not good enough for me. In verse 18, it says, Abraham, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. 
In verse 21, it says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. So the Lord said, no, I know that you tried to make it happen on your own, in your way, and in your time frame, but that is not, Ishmael is not the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise. Another example we can look to is Joseph, who at different times could have stopped where he was and thought, this must be it. This is as far as I'm going. Um, This must be what my dreams meant. In Genesis chapter 37, This is where Joseph first has his dreams, his promises. He was only 17 years old. In verse 7, it says, There we were. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers about his dream. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I... And your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. So he shared his dream with the people that he trusted, people that he thought would rejoice with him over his dreams, and they didn't. And it it does, that does seem to happen at times. But that didn't stop Joseph. Um, For time's sake, I'm just going to... um, review what happens in the next chapters, but he is sold into slavery. And then in chapter 39, uh, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard in Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And so he comes into Potiphar's house, and he's given authority in his house It says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put, he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So here, Joseph could have said, okay, I'm in a place of of authority. I've I've got authority over Potiphar's house. This must be it. I've already gone through so much. I've been sold and betrayed by my brothers. I've been a slave. Like, this is it, God. This is as far as I'm going. I'm not willing to pay any more of the price. But that is not the plan that the Lord had. There was a promise that had to be fulfilled. And so we see again in chapter 39, verses 20 through 23, when he is, once again, he's put in a prison. And again, he is given authority, even in prison. Verse 20 says, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. So again, he had authority and power, even in prison. And again, he could have said, 
this is it. I've, I've done enough. I've made it all the way down to prison. And even here I'm being blessed. I think I'll be happy with this, God. That's okay. You don't have to do anymore. But that's not where God wanted to stop. In chapter 41, uh, after he's interpreted some dreams for some of the other prisoners, and he's brought before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams, Pharaoh sees that the hand of the Lord is on Joseph. And so chapter 41, verse 38 says, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. And so he gives him authority over all of Egypt. Um, And this was the specific place that the Lord wanted Joseph to get to. In, In Genesis chapter 42, we see the actual fulfillment of his dream. In chapter 42 and verse 6, once the famine has been in the land for uh, two years, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for food, looking for grain, and it's Joseph that has to give it to them. And verse 6 says, Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Finally, uh, about 39 years old, he was 17 when it happened that he got these dreams. At 39, he was finally seeing the fulfillment of that dream. And uh, I'm not quick at math. I didn't do the math before him, but that seems like a lot of years from 17 to 39 years old waiting for the fulfillment of this dream. And at any one of these points, Joseph could have said, that's it, I'm done. This is as far as I'm willing to go. But God saw him through to the fulfillment And it wasn't just so that Joseph could get the last laugh. This isn't a story about revenge. There was a purpose in the promise that Joseph had. There was a purpose in everything that he went through. And in Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 5, even Joseph himself, once he's shown himself to his brothers and said, look, it's me, I'm still alive, and they're amazed that he's not dead or somewhere in prison, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so he continues, and he continues giving God the glory for where he is. He continues to give God the glory for everything he went through, even when he was in the prison, even when he was blamed for something he didn't do. He still gave God the glory. And even in Genesis chapter 50, once their father has passed away. His brothers think that now that their dad has passed away, Joseph's really going to let his wrath, you know, be unleashed on them. And so they try to come up with a way to, to ease him. And, and he says to them, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? Chapter, I mean, verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people 
alive. So Joseph knew that there was a purpose in his promise being fulfilled completely, not part of the way, not just halfway, and not a different version of what God had intended. And just like Joseph had a purpose, there was a purpose in Abraham and Sarah's promise of a child. It wasn't just because they wanted the satisfaction of being parents and God saw fit to grant it to them. But there was purpose. God was raising up a nation for himself through Abraham and Sarah. And just like them, there is purpose in every promise that we have, every personal promise and every promise that this church has received. It's not just about us. It's not about our name. It's not about what we can accomplish or any accolade that we could get. It's about God's kingdom. And I take comfort in knowing that his promises for me aren't just about me. They are for his glory and his kingdom. Every promise of prodigals, the promise of nations and regions, every personal promise, God and his kingdom have a stake in the fulfillment of your promises and my promises. So don't settle for where you are and don't settle for halfway or a modified version. Expect to see it. If he said it, he will do it.